Friday, Grace Church, Medina East Campus, 11 o'clock service. How you guys doing today? Man, all right. Well, my name is Dan. I lead student ministries out here at the Medina East Campus. So that uh, encompasses everybody from 6th uh, through 12th grade. Me, my wife, uh, and our awesome team get to hang out with, uh, with the youth here from the community and from this church. And so it's just a real cool privilege and honor to, to get to be able to speak to you uh, today. So I'm actually going to try slightly more subtle and sophisticated jokes than I normally try out uh, with the youth. And we're excited. I'm going to tinker with that and we'll see how it goes. So uh, yeah, we're in a series called God Is Not. And basically what we're doing is we're kind of recognizing that, man, we all come to the idea of God with these different assumptions, right? Everybody has had different experiences in their lives, and, and they're trying to, like, you know, wrestle with who God really is. We want to get, like, an accurate picture of God, but sometimes that's hard because of the stuff that happens in our lives or experiences at church or whatever. And, and so we kind of came up with this metaphor. We said that kind of in the same way that, like, an old-school photograph, like a kind of vintage-style click, you know, camera has a, a film negative, right, and, and you have to take that film negative, which is actually the exact opposite picture that you're ultimately wanting to, to produce, you take that negative and, and, and then develop it into a positive picture. And so what we're trying to do in this series is say, man, let's just make some real super stupid, clear, uh, uh, very uh, direct statements about what God is not, right, and the challenges in our life when we're trying to get a clear picture of who God is, maybe we're tat it's kind of a tattered picture or a confused picture, but we can actually sometimes go back to the negative, right, to the negative thing and say, no, God definitively is not not X, he is Y. Last week we talked about the fact that God is not weak and that he is strong. And so we're going to continue on that gravy train today and we're going to make another statement about what God is not and what he is because we just really want to get a clear understanding of who God is. And so we're doing that in Psalm 23. So Psalm 23 is a, po a very old, uh, beautiful poem. It's a really kind of famous uh, passage of scripture and it's written by this dude, David, and what we're trying to do is to just really engage with uh, these things about God and who he is and how to really engage with that uh, in Psalm 23. In fact, we think Psalm 23 is so sweet and cool, and that actually in general the Bible is so sweet that we are recommending that everybody get this app called Scripture Typer. Because what Scripture Typer does, you can download it, it's a free app on the App Store, is it gives you this chance to load passages of Scripture into that app, and then it kind of teaches you how to to memorize different, different uh, passages of Scripture. So we're challenging everybody through this series uh, to get Scripture type or load Psalm 23 onto it and then kind of memorize because it's really important in the, in the challenges that we face in our lives as we kind of run up against different situations where we're like, man, I wish I had a clear picture of who God is. You could say definitively, well, God is not this, he is that. And you could even quote Psalm 23 uh, to yourself. So we highly recommend a Scripture type. It's a sweet app, highly recommended. And what we've been saying in this series is we're looking at uh, who God is not and who he is and, and what the Bible has to say about that. We've kind of been going through the whole series with this very clear kind of initial uh, assertion that God is not indifferent, that he is personal, right? I think so many times in our lives, so many times, honestly, in my life, I feel like, man, God is this sort of uh, aloof, distant, kind of oblong blur somewhere out in the ether, and maybe he has some kind of sparkly magic, and occasionally he will sort of send some kind of vibe my way, and I can kind of interact with him, but generally he's kind of distant. He gave the universe one big spin and then just kind of stepped out and, and, and sort of watches it unfold. But, but what we're saying in this series and what we're saying the Bible makes very clear is that, man, God is not indifferent. He's not distant and aloof. He is personal and he is present and you can know him and interact with him. 
And that's what we're saying throughout the whole series. God is not indifferent. He's personal. And this does really crash up against uh, what we defined uh, in the first week as functional atheism. We said that functional atheism sometimes will occur in the hearts of even people that have followed Jesus for a long time. Like, so for me, or, or Pastor Seth, who, who did the uh, introductory conversation in this series, and we sometimes find ourselves believing in a personal God who's always around and who longs to guide us in the adventure. Like we believe that the Bible presents that to be true and we've heard that that's the deal. Believing in a personal God who's always around and, and longs to guide us in the adventure, yet we live day to day like he doesn't exist or he's too indifferent to care. Right? And, and, and Seth, I thought it was so cool in, in the first uh, series. In fact, if you, if you haven't had a chance to get, to get caught up on this series, you can download our app, all right? the Grace Church app. You can find that on the App Store, and you can get all the uh, older teachings and, and kind of get caught up on the conversation. But I thought it was really cool that, that Pastor Seth was like, you know what? I actually struggle with this because you know, sometimes I, I think, man, I, I believe that God is real and true, and I know what the Bible has to say about what he's about, but a lot of times I don't let that truth really sink deeply into my heart and let it affect my my emotional experience and my day-to-day experience of life, which is why, again, the series is so sweet because Psalm 23 is poetry, right? And, and, and there's a big difference between poetry and, and just like really clear kind of bullet point statements about who God is. There's sort of an emotional resonance. And poetry, Psalm 23 as a poem, kind of kicks you in the, in the gut a little bit and, and it resonates in a deeper way, in a way that, that might not um, uh, affect you if you're just kind of like looking at bullet points about who God is or what he's about. And so that's what we're going to do uh, today. We're going to continue the conversation and we're going to look specifically at, at what it means to be involved in this adventure, to be involved invited to be invited into this adventure, right? Everybody wants to be a part of an adventure, and so we're going to talk about what it means, what does it look like to be invited into the adventure. And so to kick up the conversation, I actually want to tell you a real quick kind of mini adventure that my sons, I have a a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, and my two boys actually went on a little mini adventure a couple of weeks ago. And so here's a picture of my sons. Uh, Over here on the left, we got Scotty. He's 10 years old. And then on the right, we got James. He's pretty surprised there. I don't know if you can see it, but he's, he's excited. And then in the middle, we've got their friend Clark. Okay, and so Clark has been there, one of their best friends for, for several years. And the thing about Clark, my two boys, you know, one of their best friends, Clark has all the cool, he's the friend with all the cool stuff, all right? He's got the Xbox, he's got the Pokemon cards, he's got the basketball hoop, he's got the ripstick, he's got all the stuff, all right? All the fun stuff, he's got the basketball hoop. And so my boys, a couple weeks ago, were going to go on a sleepover, like kind of standard issue, little kid, you know, Friday night sleepover, right? Very, very standard issue, Friday night, 5 o'clock till like the next morning, very, very plain, basic no big deal, just standard issue sleepover. And they were all excited about it because, you know, obviously, Clark's real cool, and they always have a fun adventure and an exciting time when they hang out with him. And so I tell my boys, hey, you guys get all packed up. I'm going to take you over. We're going to go over to Clark's. It's going to be sweet. All right, you guys just get packed up. One night sleepover, not that big of a deal. Just get packed up. Let's go. And so they get packed up. I go, get, I go to get my boys to load them up into the car, and each one of them has packed for the one-night sleepover, the one Friday night sleepover. Uh, this is actually the one that my, uh, my younger son, James, loaded up. All right, They both have a completely full 
100 pounds, like weighed down suitcase filled with every article of clothing that they own, every volume of Harry Potter, every, their collection of fidget spinners, right? They, every possible possession that they had. They got this stuff all loaded up. I'm like, I think you guys overpacked a little bit. You're just going to be there for 18 hours. Not that big of a deal, right? But they really felt like it was important to have all their stuff. Okay. So I'm like, whatever. So load up, get over to Clark's house. And the thing is, Clark lives up on this hill, kind of. And so to get up to, his, to get up to, to get to Clark, you have to like walk up these stairs. Okay, so we get there, they, my boys unload, and Clark is standing up at the top of the stairs, like with his Xbox controller and a bag of Skittles in his hand, like, I'm here, ready for the adventure, come to me, like, this is going to be great. Like, he has a very cute voice. And he, uh, and, so, and so they're like, I'm here waiting to bless you with all of my stuff. I, I'm a little boy, just a cute little kid. And my boys are just like down at the bottom of the stairs, like weighed down with five copies of Prisoner of Azkaban or something like. And they have their uh, suitcases each. They cannot even get up the stairs to Clark's house because they're so weighed down with all the stuff, right? They think maybe in some ways they're thinking, man, I want to have this adventure. I want to enjoy this experience with my friend, right? I know that he's got all the cool stuff, but something in their minds was like, man, unless I fill my suitcase up with every possible possession, with everything that could possibly give me what I want to have a good time, I almost don't have a category for the amount of fun I'm going to have. I just need to make sure that the adventure gets packed into my, to my suitcase, right? And so obviously it was kind of funny, because, you know, they're down at the bottom. They, can't, they couldn't even carry their suitcases up to the, <laughs> up to the thing. Eventually, I helped them up, and they, and they, they you know, it was successful. And, it, and there was an adventure, and they had all kinds of fun, and they played basketball and skinned their knees on falling off the ripstick and whatever. And, and the thing is, you know, my wife and I, you know, we asked them, so how was, when we went to pick them up, how was, your, uh, how was your sleepover? Like, how was the adventure, right? And they talked all about the different things that happened in the games, and they, you know, made a tent with a sheet and whatever, and they did all this stuff. But one, they never, ever mentioned anything that had to do with, like, packing the suitcase, right? They didn't have any, they, there was no mention of the, the, the fidget spinner collection that they took over or, like, the, the 20 pairs of, of socks that they took over. That wasn't a part of the equation. It was all about the adventure that they were invited into. And so the reason why I tell you that story, honestly, uh, is because I think for those of us in this room who, I mean, if, if I'm being honest with myself, I feel like I spend a lot of time interacting with God like that. I spent a lot of time thinking, man, I've heard that there's this adventure. You know, I've seen glimpses or kind of glimpses or, or pictures of it. I've read about the, the fact that, like, you love me and you want to bless me and invite me into this ever-unfolding experience of what it means to chill out and hang out with you and experience what it's like, you know, to follow you. But, man, I got I, I to gotta get my stuff. I, I got I to fill my life up with the things that I can control and, and the things that I can accumulate. I need to fill my life up with these possessions, and I need to fill my life up with these kind of um, experiences and, and these kind of controlled circumstances, right? I have to cram my life life with all this stuff and, and, and at, the expense, at the expense of actually engaging in the adventure that's there waiting for me with a bag of Skittles and a ripstick or whatever, right? And so I think for all of us, honest, if we're being honest, I think we all sometimes do that, right? There are so many alluring things in this life that seem like they're going to fill us up or give us what we, what we want to, to have the adventure. 
But man, the Bible would teach, and I think a lot of us have experienced that there is something more to life than just cramming our suitcases full of stuff that we think is going to satisfy us. There's something beyond uh, just, just uh, trying to manipulate the circumstance to have fun. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the reality that God, man, he's actually got way, way, way more for us than just what we think we want or what we think we need that we can cram uh, into our suitcases. God doesn't want to just hold us back. He's actually waiting for us. He's waiting for us and inviting us in to an adventure. He's not trying to hold us back or be stingy or, or, or create some kind of boring situation. He wants to draw us into an incredible adventure. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today in Psalm 23. Psalm 23, um, and so if you have a, a device or if you brought your own Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 23. We also have uh, these like kind of hard, hardback black Bibles kind of spread out uh, in the chairs all around you, and you can find Psalm 23 on page uh, <clears throat> 382 on those Bibles. And we say this every week, this is like one of my favorite things to say ever, is that if you do not own a copy uh, of the Bible, if, or if maybe it's like your first time here, and again, we are so uh, blessed and privileged uh, if it is your first time here, and we just hope that you feel loved and welcomed. But, but if you don't have a Bible, we think it's really important you do, so go ahead and take one of those black ones and just make it a gift from us to you. No strings attached, we just think it's really sweet and important for you to have a Bible, so go ahead and take one and get there however you want to get there, page 382. And really, we're only going to be looking at a few, uh, just a few words in Psalm 23 and then kind of uh, reflecting on it for uh, the remainder of the, uh, the morning. So uh, David was the guy uh, that wrote Psalm 23, and, and the very first line is, the Lord is my shepherd. David reflecting on who God is and, and the reality that he is present, that he's not indifferent and that he's not weak, says, man, God, the, the Lord is my shepherd. He is there present with me. I have a relationship with him. And David, again, as he's writing this, there's some emotional resonance in his, his mind. And he might, I think, be thinking about the times when he was a shepherd. And he, like, last week we talked about how David actually fought lions and bears. And he was, it was really tough. And so David is thinking about this and, and kind of thinking about uh, his relationship with God. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And the next line is so sweet and such a simple, uh, beautiful thing to say. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And I think that's such a simple sentence, right? I lack nothing. And it's so bold and, and so clear. Uh, some other translations that you might have uh, say it like this. I shall not want is kind of a famous translation. Or I really like this. I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. It's so simple and it's so, so clear. But it, it, it just, I think it's so, it's so deep and it means so much. I think what David is saying in some really strong ways is that, man, I'm invited into this adventure. I get to participate in this thing that God has laid out for me, and I am going to have everything that I need to, to accomplish the purposes that he has in store for me, to, to be involved in an adventure, and to enjoy this kind of lavish and interesting and exciting kind of life. God isn't trying to hold back the things that, that I need to, to experience this adventure. I lack nothing. I have everything that I need. Right? And again, Reflecting on this, I, I think that, you know, as, as we all are kind of, in some ways, the sum of all of our experiences and, and, and a lot of the things that happen in our lives kind of work itself into the way that we talk about things, I think David might be thinking back to a time in his life when something really sweet happened, a really big adventure. In fact, we talked about it last week, uh, this, this story, very famous story of David and Goliath. 
right? And so there was this group of people called uh, the Philistines, and, and there was a, a leader of their army called Goliath, and, and this dude Goliath went down. There was a group of people called the Philistines. They were over here. The Israelites were over here, and, and David went down to meet Goliath in this valley to fight him, a very, very famous story in the Bible, and you can actually find it uh, in, in 1 Samuel uh, 17. And so in those black Bibles, it's page uh, 197. And I think as David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, uh, you know, I lack nothing, I have all that I need, I think he might be thinking about in some ways, man, I remember this pivotal and incredibly, um, you know, emotionally resonant experience in my life when I fought, when I fought Goliath. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And this is what happens as we kind of move forward in the story uh, of David and Goliath. Saul who was the king of the Israelite army, right? David is there with Saul and the Israelite army. Uh, the Philistines are over there. Goliath is down in the valley. And Saul, the king, dressed David, check this out, in his own tunic, right? And so again, David, shepherd boy, hanging out with the king, given the king's, like, under ruse or whatever. Like, Saul hooks David up with his jammies, <laughs> and he put a coat of armor on him, and a bronze helmet on his head, all right? And so David, in this moment, like poor shepherd boy, oh, wow, check it out. I'm with the king. He's hooking me up with his own clothes. He's putting the armor on me. He's really getting me everything I need for this adventure. This is sweet. I'm going to be prepared. Wisdom would say, worldly wisdom would say, I need a coat of armor and a bronze helmet. If I'm going to go on this adventure and fight this tough giant. I need this stuff to do this adventure. I need the stuff to do the adventure. Saul dressed David in his own threads, really hooked him up with what he needed. But David fastened on his own sword over the tunic, and he tried walking around because he wasn't used to them, right? And so he gets hooked up with all this stuff and starts to try and try it out. The Bible says he, like, tests it to see if it, if it flows with his jive, right? And he's like, eh, I don't know. I'm not really used to this. It's kind of itchy or something or whatever. It's kind of heavy and itchy. No good. And so this is what happens next. David fastens the sword. He does the stuff. And, and he says, I cannot go in these, he says to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took him off. That's a pretty sweet move. He's like, man, instead of trying to strive to accomplish my purposes, right, I, it's like, oh, man, it, it seems like I need this stuff to accomplish my purposes in this adventure. That's what everybody, the king is right here hooking me up with his threads. I should probably think about that and really go for it and try to deal with the fact that it's a little uncomfortable. But David's like, no, nah. actually the Lord is my shepherd and I don't, I lack nothing. So he takes it off. Wise move, wise move. He's, he's, a, he's a mature young man. He takes off the stuff that he doesn't need. And then he does this, very, very famous. He took his staff, instead of the stuff that he, it seemed like he needed, right, the king gave him, he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. And he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. He approached Goliath, this incredible adventure. He like approaches the, the, one of the pinnacles of his life. And what does he have? He's got a stick. He finds some rocks. He puts them into his fanny pack. And he's got like a leather whirly aroundy thing. That's what. I got a strap of leather, a stick, some rocks, and a fanny pack. Enough. That's what I need. Right? And so again, when you're thinking about this crazy adventure, and when you're thinking, man, David is about to go do, like, the coolest thing. He's about to go engage with and fight and fight the giant on the adventure, right? You would think he needs the stuff to do that. 
But what occurs is that he's just like, I don't need that stuff. I just need my stick and some rocks I found. That will be enough. And so then, fast forward a few verses, David says to the Philistine, this is so sweet. He, he looks at Goliath. He's got his fanny pack and his leather whirly aroundy thing. And he says to the Philistine as he approaches him, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. You come against me thinking that you have the worldly trappings that you need to accomplish the purpose, to be successful in the adventure, to be successful in the battle, right? You think you have what you need because you have a sword, a spear, and a javelin, right? You think you're all hooked up and you got what you need. But I come against you, homie, in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, right? Cool, cool spear. I come against you in the name of the Lord. Let's see how it goes. And this is what David says. Cool, calm, collect, like cool hand Luke. He says, this is the day, this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'm gonna strike you down and cut off your head. All right? It's so bad. Can you all, let's just all say David is bad. David is bad. He's bad. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'm gonna strike you down and cut off your head. I found some rocks, I'm gonna win. We'll be cool. This very day, I'm gonna give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world is gonna know that there's a God in Israel, Goliath, right? The whole world, including 2018 Medina, Ohio, when hyped up youth ministry guy is yelling at a group of a couple hundred people that this actually occurred. The whole world is gonna know. And he was correct, right? This is actually going to go down. He doesn't need all the stuff. He's with the Lord. The Lord's going to hook him up with what he needs for the battle. All those gathered is David. David is bad. All those gathered here will know. It ain't by sword or spear. It's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Because the battle is the Lord's. And he is going to give all of you into our hands. All right. And so again, just to make this real clear. David is like, I don't need all this stuff. I'm going to find some rocks. I got my stick and my leather whirly thing. We're good. This dude is all huge and freaky. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. The Lord is going to take care of it. And, and it's not by sword. It's not by spear that the Lord saves because the battle is the Lord's. All right. And then what happens in the story is that David does what he says he's about to do. He puts, he puts a rock in his sling, wings it around. Boing, and he hits Goliath in the head with a rock, and Goliath falls over. The rock sticks in his head, dude falls over, and then David's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And he hop, skipped, and jumps over to Goliath, and he's like, man, I didn't bring a sword. I said I was going to cut off your head. Oh, wait, I'll just borrow your sword, Goliath. And he takes, David is bad, he takes, he takes Goliath's sword, and he's knocked out, chilling there. He takes his sword out, and then he cuts Goliath's head off with his own sword. <laughs> like that. The Bible. The Bible. All those gathered here are going to know, it's not by sword or spear. I just found some rocks. That's enough. The battle is the Lord's. And he's going to give all of you into our hands, right? And so when David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, I think we get a real picture back in this story that like, man, Something about David's relationship with God, 
he's got some kind of insight into the fact that there's something beyond just like the worldly trappings or what it seems like I need, right? I, I don't need all this stuff to accomplish the adventure. There's actually something way sweeter than just trying to make this armor fit or, or trying to load up every, uh, you know, every one of my possessions into the bag to go over to Clark's house. There's something sweeter waiting for me. And if I abandon my preconceived notion, if I abandon my assumption that God is cheap and wants to hold out on me and is stingy, if I abandon that and I recognize, man, maybe God actually has something cooler in store for me and that I can participate in a really sweet battle and an adventure, that, that something really cool could happen. And I know, like I said, for me, this kind of sticks right into my gut because for years and years of my life, and even now, I kind of struggle with thinking, man, I gotta fill my life up with this stuff to satisfy my desires, to satisfy my longings. I gotta manipulate situations. I gotta, I'm a control freak, and I want every situation to be exactly how I want it to be. And, and once I get, you know, uh, my money in a position where I like, and once I get like the kind of car that I think will be cool, and if I get a motorcycle and a new cool watch, and if I get all this stuff, then I will be able to have fun, and then I will be able to succeed and, be, and feel like this is a real thing, that we really got something going. But again, I think what the Bible is saying very clearly is, man, there is an adventure waiting for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have what I need because, as a consequence of the Lord being my shepherd. I lack nothing. And, and spending my time focused on the stuff, focused on trying to fill my life with the, th the things that I think are going to satisfy me, rather than just focusing on the reality that there's an adventure I'm being invited into, man, it's kind of a bummer waste of time. It kind of reminds me of this quote by C.S. Lewis, and it really cuts deeply into, into my heart. And, and I would even ask you in this moment to maybe consider, you know, what, where, where is your heart at? And, and where are you, what are the things that you're maybe focusing on that, that you're kind of uh, allowing to, to control the way that you think about the adventure? And I think this quote from C.S. Lewis cuts pretty deep. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased, right? And I think that for me, if I'm being totally honest with you guys, I spent a lot of time in my life chasing sex and drugs and rock and roll, chasing worldly possessions, chasing seeming cool in the part, you know, at the party, uh, uh, trying to manipulate and, and augment my circumstances so that they would be enjoyable. The adventure was all about just filling up my suitcase rather than recognizing, man, there's something bigger and something greater out there for me, right? And, and the reality that God is not stingy and God is not cheap, but that he is actually lavish, it just didn't really occur to me. But I'm here to tell you that the Bible makes it very, very clear. Psalm 23, especially the story of David being provided exactly what he needs uh, to, to slay the giant, I think really teaches us in a powerful way uh, our main kind of landing point for today, and that is that God is absolutely not cheap. God is not cheap. When I'm in a situation in my life trying to look at a picture of God and I think, man, you must be stingy or holding out on me or something because I don't have exactly what I want. Man, the Bible would say, no, 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 no. God wants to invite you into an adventure. God's not cheap. God is not cheap at all. God is not cheap. He is lavish. God is lavish. He is totally lavish. And he has nothing but an overwhelming desire to pour out blessing on you and to pour out joy and peace and rest into your life. Everybody in this room, 
You guys are objects of God's love, his infinite love. He loves you and he wants to bless you. God is not cheap. He is lavish. And the thing is, it goes beyond uh, just a blessing of like health uh, and wealth and prosperity. There's actually something far deeper that Jesus wants you to experience and to enjoy. His presence and his love. God is not cheap. He is lavish. And he wants to bless you more than you can even conceive of or imagine. And so I would ask you honestly, if you could, in this moment, to just think of, you know, things in your life or areas in your life where you're like, you know what? Yeah, I actually do kind of, it's really important to me to kind of get a little bit buzzed before I hang out with this group of people. And I can't, you know, this is important to me to get a little drunk. You know, I can't, I can't, I couldn't enjoy uh, this, this situation or this party unless I got kind of hammered before I went. Like, come on, that, that's necessary for me to experience what life really has. Or, you know, I can't, I don't really feel beautiful unless I uh, allow myself to be used by a variety of different people in, in sexual conquest or whatever, right? I mean, there, there are things that we are filling our lives up with because we think, I can't enjoy what God really has for me. I can't enjoy real life or be on the adventure unless I fill my life up with this stuff. And so I know there's a lot of people in this room and we all have different stuff that we're trying to, to work through. I know I'm still trying to work through all kinds of stuff. I'm all jacked up and I have all kinds of stuff where I, I still need the love and the grace of God to apply to my, to my heart into my mind, but I'm here to tell you that, that God is not cheap. He is lavish, and he wants to liberate you from just trying to cram uh, your suitcase full of stuff and full of experiences so that you can be free to experience his love and his joy. And, and I think a lot of you might be asking the question, well, how, how do I know that that's true? How can you prove or, or, or what, what, what gives you the audacity to say that that is actually the truth and actually reality and that God actually is not cheap and that he is lavish? Right? And as we look at, at what, what Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The reason why I know that God, in fact, is lavish is found in the good shepherd, is found in the person of Jesus. Because Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And we see in the person of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, we see the most clear, definitive example of the unfettered, lavish love and grace and generosity of Almighty God. He, more than anything, wants to shower you with his blessing and his love and his presence. And that is validated and proven in the person of Jesus. And the reality that Jesus had a perfect relationship with God from eternity, but that because he saw what sin did to, to humanity, that sin separated humanity from God, God sent his only son, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And the reality that Jesus came to live a perfect life, to die a criminal's death, and he rose three days later so that we could have a relationship with God is the most clear, definitive, manifest, glorious evidence that God is not cheap, but that he is lavish. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Right? And it reminds me of what, what Paul, uh, an early church planner and a, and a writer, says about this very concept. Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, God the Father, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Paul says, look, God had a perfect relationship with Jesus. Jesus eternally perfect, no sin in him, perfect. But he took on sin. The Bible says that he who was without sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And on the cross, the full wrath of God and his hatred for sin was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus was tormented and he felt distant from God. The the relationship that Jesus had experienced, the perfect intimacy of a a perfect son and a perfect father was, was severed so that everybody in this room could have a relationship with God. Jesus endured that pain and that torture, that physical, emotional, spiritual torment, the wrath of God poured out on him in full measure, right? And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, for everybody in this room is given the opportunity, is is given the invitation to engage with God. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God is not cheap. He is lavish. And what occurred on the cross wasn't just like some quick pawn shop transaction. It was the greatest uh, act of, of, of lavish, generous, gracious blessing that has occurred in human history. Jesus uh, pr- proves his, his desire to bless you and to engage with you and to give you everything you need for the adventure on the cross and in the resurrection. And again, Paul reflecting on this in Ephesians 1, I mean, he couldn't put it any more clear. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Something so much greater and more profound and beautiful and exciting and true and good than I could ever even think of or imagine is available to me in the person of Jesus. Every spiritual blessing beyond what my mind can even conceive of, a relationship with God, an awareness of his presence, a feeling close uh, to somebody who genuinely loves me at the deepest level and in purity and in truth loves me. I can have something so much more than possessions or sexual experiences or chemical highs or whatever. I'm, I'm given access to every spiritual blessing, the Bible says, in Christ, in Christ. If I receive him as my savior, if I recognize that I'm jacked up and I need to be forgiven and receive his love and his forgiveness, I'm hooked up with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he says, in him we have redemption. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, through his costly, infinitely costly blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us that he lavished on us. God is infinitely rich in his desire to to commune with us and to have a relationship with us. And those riches he lavishes on us in Christ. An experience of his love, an experience of this adventure, this ever unfolding and changing experience where it's not boring or lame. You know, I think a lot of times we think, man, Christianity is just like, do this checklist of good stuff and try to be good and then die and go to heaven. Right? And in Christianity, that is not what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is, is following the God of the universe in an ever-developing and, and unfolding experience of, of what it means to be a human being and what it means to be genuinely loving and, and to care about people and to engage with people in a way that really means something and has significance. Right? We all desire an adventure and we all desire to, to really slay the dreads, to slay the beast, to slay Goliath. And we are given an invitation to do that in ever-increasing ways 
in the person of Jesus. God is not cheap. He is lavish. And I think that, you know, honestly, even as I say that, even as those words are coming out of my mouth, that God is not cheap, he's lavish, that there's this crazy sweet hooked up deal that you could be a part of, I think that some of you in this room, you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, that's really cool. I'm interested in that, but, but man, I don't deserve that. You know, you don't, you don't really know that much about my history, Dan, and you don't know how, how far away from God I've been. I'm actually hungover right now. I actually slept with somebody that I shouldn't have been sleeping with last night, right? I, I, I actually have spent too long trying to do things my own way, and I do not deserve to be blessed, and I don't deserve these riches to be lavished on me. I don't deserve it, right? And I'm here to tell you that you're actually right. And the thing is, you don't deserve it. And I actually don't deserve it either. In fact, none of us deserve this. None of us deserve these riches. And none of us deserve to have that kind of love lavished on us and, and, the, and the floodgates of God's blessing to just pour out on us. None of us deserve it, right? And so I think the question might be, well, then what do I have to do? What do I have to do to, to achieve some kind of status where I could receive this blessing, right? It sounds pretty sweet to be uh, invited to an incredible adventure that is ever unfold, an ever unfolding experience of God's love. That sounds pretty intriguing. I'm intrigued by that. What do I have to do? What, what steps does it take? How long do I have to be good? How long do I have to like jump through? What are the hoops to jump through? How do I have to do it, right? What, what do I have to do? Which is why... You know, as we think about that and we think about the unlimited steps we would have to go through to accomplish that, it makes it really cool about this concept called grace. Because grace, what grace does is it says there's actually nothing. You, can, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve the blessing. You don't deserve God's lavish love. And there's nothing that you could ever do to accumulate enough brownie points to be worthy of receiving the blessing. There's, no thing, there's nothing you could ever do. But check this out. It's by grace. It's by grace that you've been saved, through faith. Not from yourselves. It's a gift. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so what the Bible teaches, is, I, I want to say this as clear as I can possibly say it to you, is that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death but that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that any of us can do to earn enough brownie points to be acceptable to God, but that God in his love and in his perfection came to earth in the person of Jesus, lived a perfect life, died a criminal's death, rose three days later, later and invites you in to a relationship with him solely based on his generosity and his love and it's a gift. It's by grace that you can be saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Not by works. No one can boast. And so in this moment, friend, Jesus is here and he has the gift of eternal life and of a lavish blessing an eternally resonant, unfolding experience of God's love and his favor and his presence in your life. And he has the gift, and it is in front of your face. He has the free gift of his presence and his love, and it is there in front of you. And he wants you to receive the gift of his love. It is by grace. It is the free gift of Almighty God, and he loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And all you have to do is receive it. It's there in front of your face. 
and the floodgates of God's love and of his blessing and of his lavish desire to unleash the most profound experience of adventure in your life, the floodgates are in front of your face and they are buckled, they're about to break. They're in front of you. There's, a, there's an ocean of God's love and of his presence and it is right in front of you. And, it, and, and he died so that you could experience that and break it open. And all you have to do is just receive the gift. It is there in front of you. He's offering it to you and he wants you to receive it. And so I'm asking you on behalf of God Almighty in this moment that if you have never received the gift, you can do that right now. You can say, you know what, I've heard enough. I'm sick of trying to fill my bag with stuff that that doesn't do anything, that doesn't satisfy. I want to receive the blessing and to receive the gift and the experience of God's love. And you can do that. It is so easy, but it is the biggest deal ever. All you have to do is say, man, I've heard enough about you, Jesus. I've heard enough. I've been coming around for a while or my friends or someone, whoever has been talking and I've heard enough and, and something's clicking and today I'm, I'm sick of trying to fill my life up with this stuff that never satisfied. I want to be on a real adventure where you bless me and you, and you recognize that and you just say, yeah, Lord, I'm jacked up. I need your forgiveness. Please come into my life, forgive me. I wanna be blessed by you. Thank you for dying on a cross to forgive me. If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and you believe it in your heart, you're saved. You're saved and then you, you become a child of God. You can interact with him and we are here, this church is here to help you experience what that's like. You could join a life group. You could start to participate in biblical community and, and get hooked up with people that will help you learn how to, how to follow God and what that looks like. And again, I mean, I'll tell you, as, as, long as, the day is, as, as long as it is called today, I will tell you that following Jesus is not boring and it's not just a checklist about do good stuff. It involves being a good person, but it's so much more than just like being a goody two-shoes. It is about being a part of an adventure, an eternally unfolding and exciting adventure where everything is new and, and fresh and you can experience his love and his vitality. And we exist, this church exists to help you experience that and that is our desire. Because here's the deal. Here is the deal of deals of all time. God is not cheap. He's not cheap. He's lavish. And I think some of you in this room really need to hear that. I think you need to hear God is not a God who just has a big bunch of stuff that, that he like, he's not trying to hold out on you. And he's not trying to just skimp and give you the minimum funness. God wants to unleash a flood there is a flood of the coolest stuff that you could imagine in the person of Jesus, and you could experience that. And if you've never, never made that decision, you can make it right now. And I'm begging you on behalf of Almighty God to, to, th- to think about it for real, because it's not a joke, and it's the biggest deal ever. Receive the gift. It's available to you. So as we think about, um, you know, kind of what, what, does this, what does this mean practically for us here uh, this, this, uh, this morning, going into this afternoon, I think we could do a couple things with this. You know, what do you do with a message like this? And I think that the first thing I would ask you to do, honestly, is to just identify the baggage. Again, to just be, to be honest with yourself and to say, you know what? Okay, for, for, this, for this amount of time in this place today, I'm just gonna let my heart melt all the way down and just be honest and say, man, there are things in my life I, I, I try to fill my life up with these objects, with these possessions, with these experiences, with these sexual conquests or whatever, and, and, and that doesn't satisfy. I've tried, and it just doesn't, it's not getting it done. There are things in my life that are holding me down, and that goes for people in this room who don't follow Jesus and people in this room who do follow Jesus because, like I said, I know I'm guilty of this almost every day. Every day I feel like I have to 
manipulate and, and kind of cajole the circumstances into exactly what I need to, to feel satisfied or like I'm a part of the adventure. So as, on, as honestly as you can, just identify what those, what those things are. Getting the kid to the right school, paying off the mortgage early, getting the new version of whatever, right? The new, the 4K, oh, our TV is still, it's not 4K, like I need the new 4K. Whatever it is, just be honest with yourself. Identify the baggage. And then I would ask you to re-examine the adventure because I am here to tell you, as again, as honestly and as sincerely as I can, Christianity is not lame and boring and like some deal where people just get dressed up and like check some moralistic boxes, right? It is about recognizing that there's no way I could do it on my own, that I am a weak, jacked up person that has been saved by grace and brought into and drawn into an ever unfolding narrative of God that, and he wants to, to write this incredible story and I could be a part of it and participate with incredibly important, eternally resonant things. You are invited to that. The adventure is real and it is available to you. So identify the baggage, re-examine the adventure and then I'm asking you guys as sincerely as I can Please, embrace the provision of the Good Shepherd. Wherever you're at in your life right now, whatever things you're trying to fill your life up with, I'm here to tell you that Jesus legit, and this isn't some churchy cliche, this isn't some churchy cliche, I'm here to tell you that Jesus can supply you with what you need for your life. He has the resources, he has the capacity, he has the desire and the ability to give you everything you need. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's not, that isn't some cheesy church guy thing. I'm here to tell you that that is the legit truth of God. Jesus will supply what you need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So embrace the, embrace the provision of the good shepherd. Please think about that and think about, I can't tell you how that applies to your life, you can and so I ask that you just be honest with yourself and, and allow that truth to, to get into your mind and to get into your heart. Let the emotional truth that, that David communicates, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, let that sink in and think about that, all right? So I'm gonna invite the band up now. And as I do, I just wanna ask you guys to imagine, for real, try to genuinely think of what it would mean and what the experience would be like to, to live a life where you're not focused on just where, where you're not focused on the adventure, just being filling my life up with stuff that I think I need to have fun, right? But to think, man, I could actually be a part of something so much greater and so much bigger, right? To, to be free from the constraint of constantly worrying about getting all these nitpickety details correct, and to just be free to follow Jesus in an ever increasing experience of His love. Imagine what that could look like for you. There is an adventure. There is a genuine adventure waiting for you and you could participate in it. It was written into your heart to experience the adventure and you could experience it in ever increasing measure as you follow Jesus, as you embrace the provision of the good shepherd. So please imagine and think seriously, even as we sing and as we worship, as the band is getting hooked up here, imagine what it could look like to really, for real, be a part of an adventure and let the truth and the liberation and the excitement of following Jesus deeply down into your guts, for real. It's not a joke. God is not cheap. God is not cheap. He is lavish. He died to bless you. He died to draw you into a relationship with him, to draw you into an experience of his love, and you could do that. And you could do it right now. If you've never done it, you could do it right now. And you could say, Lord, I'm jacked up. I need you. I want to be part of the adventure. I want to lack nothing. Please give me what I need. And he will do that for you. God is not cheap. He is lavish. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing.
Lord Jesus, yes, thank you. Yeah, you're not cheap, Lord, you're lavish. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you fill this room up at this moment with an awareness that that is the truth. I ask at this moment, Father, that you fill this place up to overflowing with an awareness that you have nothing but the most profound desire to bless every person in this room in ways that they can't even imagine or conceive of, that you have more love, more grace, more joy and experience of of, of your presence than we even have the capacity in this moment to imagine. And so please open our minds, expand our capacity to even interact with the reality of your lavish blessing. Please, righteous Father, draw us into a relationship with you. And I ask for the person in this room that might not have ever uh, considered following you to at this moment, please move on them to recognize who you are and that it's not a joke and and that you're not cheap and that you're lavish and that that is proven on the cross. And, And Lord, that is possible, that it is possible for us to experience your love. Please make that clear to us as we worship and as we leave from this place, help us to walk in a new and increased awareness of your love, of your lavish blessing. You're the total king of the universe. We praise your name forever. King Jesus, amen.